You're listening to episode 59 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and no signs were electronically stolen in the making of this podcast, but what would happen if they were? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chirps. If this is your first time joining us, hello. We're glad to have you along. If you're back for the second or third or 59th time, we're equally pleased to have you here with us. As always, I'm Tara Wellman. My co-pilot on this fine show is Alex Crisofoli, as per usual. And we are kicking off the 2020 calendar year with the same lack of Cardinals news as we have had, but there is some baseball-wide news that we'll get into in a little bit as far as sign-stealing and the saga that continues to unfold. But before we get to that, Alex, there's not any real news with the Cardinals, but just like it always seems to happen at some point in the offseason, there's that little nugget, that little rumor that the Cardinals may actually be interested in a prime target, whether it's in free agency or trade, just to keep us interested in what they may or may not do. All of a sudden, on Tuesday afternoon, the Nolan Arenado rumors started to swirl again thanks to a an ESPN article claiming that the Cardinals and shocker, the Cubs are two teams that may be most interested in trying to swing a trade for Nolan Arenado. Alex, we know that he's been a longtime target for the Cardinals, at least in the rhetoric that we hear or in what those who cover the team have said about players that they would like to see come to St. Louis. Do we make anything of this at this point before we get into actual news in the baseball world? Uh, probably not. I, I think my first response <laughs> or my first reaction to it was to sort of just be annoyed because, uh, you know, I've kind of taken this off season, uh, off, uh, um, yeah. you know, previous off seasons, uh, they were they were much more exciting. Uh, even though the Cardinals didn't really do anything, there were big names that we were constantly checking in on to see if they were going to do something. Uh, this offseason wasn't hasn't really been like that. And in previous years, that would have annoyed me more than it did this year. Right? I think this year I was uh, um, I don't know if burned out's the right word, but I was just like you we know we're prepared for it, right? Yeah, like we kind of knew going into this off season, we were like, all right, we can kind of check out this time because yeah, nothing, so nothing fun's going to happen. It was kind of nice to be like, you know what? I'm not really going to pay attention to what's happening in baseball uh, quite like I normally would, and I'm going to watch basketball. I'm going to watch football and stuff like that. Right. Now, now that becomes problematic when I co-host a baseball podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> In, in the in the off season, uh, so, you're giving so, away your secrets. Yes, yeah, so, so make it all like, up in the yeah, winter. So when something like this pops up, uh, then I'm like, oh shoot! Now I have to like read articles and stuff. This isn't <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I I don't know. Um, it's a complicated thing. Uh, he has opt outs, uh, mm-hmm. so that makes it tough. He's it's uh, he, uh, John Fleming wrote a. STL bullpen, a place where I, uh, I guess, mess around every once in a while and throw up stuff. Um, he, he wrote about how, like, well, why wouldn't you just if if the Cardinals are actually in on 
Arenado. Why wouldn't you just do a full court press for Rendon? So you don't actually have to give up talent and you just have to, you know, give up money and not have to worry about the opt outs um, and such. So I don't know. It it seems like there's way too many moving parts. It seems way too complicated. I'm not, I'm not really buying the fact, the idea that they're in on him. Yeah, I can't say that I am either for a couple of reasons. One, you're right. They have passed on guys of equal talent in recent off seasons, whether it was last season with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado or Josh Donaldson this year with Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rendon. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, they've, they've gone sort of out of their way this off season as they've done in the past when they weren't going to pursue a prime free agent candidate or someone in a trade to say, we have really great young talent and we're really excited about seeing where it goes. It would be strange then to me for them to completely flip that script and trade away a bunch of that exciting young talent for Nolan Arenado on a contract that the Cardinals would never, ever have given anyone. At least I don't think they would have. So it, it's, you're right. There are a lot of moving parts. How much of that contract would they end up paying? How would they be able to potentially restructure those opt-outs so that they're getting more than the the very limited guarantee of him in St. Louis for the sake of those prospects? But it does kind of have that feeling of, because of the way that contract is structured, maybe not generating quite as much in return as far as the the immediate major league talent return or even some of the, the high-level um, minor league prospects that the Cardinals would have to offer I guess kind of like they did with the Paul Goldschmidt trade it's going to take more than that because of the premier talent that Nolan Arenado has proven to be but there are ways that I could see this breaking down to something that the Cardinals might be able to work in their favor I just don't know that I I feel like that's realistic even if I can sort of create a path to that happening in my mind it's not it's certainly not the path of least resistance which is where they've seemed pretty comfortable to stay this offseason. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the point about him being uh, an elite talent because, you know, there's debate on how good he is, because, part, mostly because he plays in cores mm-hmm. and, you know, that has to be evaluated through a different lens. But I think he's a fantastic player. I, I would certainly love to have him on the Cardinals. Uh, I just don't see, see it happening. But 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 I think he's a great player, and I think he would even be a very good fit with this team. But yeah, I just I don't know. It, it just seems like one of those things where it, it just seems like a waste to expand too much en- to expand too much energy on something <laughs> that just seems like a very very unlikely thing. It seems a little bit like the Giancarlo Stanton thing, where it was like, oh. Oh, you're actually asking about that? No one thought that was going to happen. So it it doesn't feel like a realistic option. I, not because the the two situations are particularly comparable, but just in the <laughs> improbability of the whole thing. Yeah, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Um, for the life of me, I will never, ever, ever understand why the Cardinals were in on Giancarlo Stanton based on everything else they've ever said and done uh, (laughs) with regard to free agents. It will never, ever make sense to me. Um, Now, 
I obviously don't have all the information. Maybe they weren't, I, you know, but what we were told is that they had a trade in place. Like they were ready to trade for him. And if I recall, that trade also meant like taking on most of the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this is several years ago, so I could be misremembering things, but just the idea of, um, of making that trade happen just seems so anti-Cardinals uh, that I will never, ever understand it. And I would love to hear um, if, if, if we'll ever, I would love to someday hear exactly what was going on there. Yeah. It's one of those where I would love to know how much of it was for the show a little bit like, Hey, we can play in this pool too, Mm -hmm. even though we know it's not going to happen but we can play the game and we can make the trip and we can talk about the, the possible um, terms of a deal and say that, yeah, it's, it's good for the team that we would trade with, even if they knew it wasn't actually going to happen. I don't know. It just felt like it was, it was at a really good time to make a bit of a statement. And it was like, we can make this statement without actually having to commit to it because we know it's not going to happen. So (laughs) I've, yeah, I've heard other people argue that as well. And I think there is merit to that. But two things. One, what if he accepts it? (laughs) What what if you're wrong and it does happen? And two, are they really going to negotiate and bet? I don't know if, that's bad faith negotiating. I kind of feel like yeah. it is, um, especially if it's only going to uh, give more fire to the narrative that y- you guys are always coming in second, that you can't right. land the big fish, which is like, you know, with Harper, you know, that never, with a player like Bryce Harper, that never really became a narrative because they never even really. <laughs> they engaged. weren't going for Yeah, they didn't place. engage. So we couldn't even really say that. We were more just yelling at them for not engaging. But, just, just shouting into the yeah, void and they yeah. weren't even at all no, paying attention. Exactly. But I feel like with Stanton, they would have been opening themselves up for those, like, aha, you guys are always the, you know, the bridesmaids, yeah. you know, always the bridesmaids, never the bride, stuff like that. So I don't yeah. know. I would love, um, to find out what happened there. I would also be very curious to uh, to learn some of those details as I would love to maybe be a fly on the wall yeah. when the conversations are happening with the Rockies, right? Because obviously there's conversations happening for there to be any any sort of dialogue, any sort of rumor swirling. But just because the conversations are happening, I guess, is where we can land this. Just because the conversations are happening doesn't mean that anything is imminent. It doesn't mean that anything is certainly um, on the table as far as uh, a reasonable trade for both teams. And that's what you ultimately have to get to. We have all these rats and snitches um, uh, as players who, who are now, you know, telling, you know, telling on the Astros and the Red Sox, uh-huh. you know, once they leave. <laughs> why, why can't we get like a snitch in the front office? Right. To have, you know. Someone uh, yeah. quit on bad terms with yeah. the Cardinals yeah. and then come on our podcast and spill all the drama. That's yeah. all I'm asking yeah. for. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, no, you mentioned the Astros and the Red Sox. We'll get to that <laughs> in a minute as well. But the only other piece of conversation for the Cardinals really at this point is what's going to happen with Marcelo Zuna, who remains unsigned. And I'll be honest, it's been a much quieter offseason on the Marcelo Zuna front than I think I expected and maybe quieter than he expected as well, pursuing free agency rather than accepting the qualifying offer from the Cardinals. Alex, do you think... We talked a little bit about this last week, but there's still nothing happening with Marcelo Zuna 
does he make sense for the Cardinals to reach out to in light of, well, what hasn't happened in free agency? Certainly to see uh, what he's willing to uh, play for, I guess, which yeah. is a bummer for Marcelo Zuna because I like him. Uh, but I would absolutely take him on a another one or two year deal. Uh, I, I don't know what the money would look like there, but obviously it would pale into anything that, you know, obviously the Cardinals could afford to do that quite easily. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not if they're trading for an <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, they can't afford anything anymore. But you know how we always talked about how uh, it seems like whenever Azuna's name would come up, one of the adjectives for him was would always be like, he's such a weird hitter. Yeah. Uh, Zach's article this week, uh, Zach so Gifford's good. article was fascinating because I've noticed that before, but never quite actually. Uh, and w- when I say I've noticed that, I've noticed the fact that the ball comes off his bat and then seems to tail off into a different area of the outfield, basically, than, than the trajectory <laughs> of the ball, like off his bat. Um, yeah. I've noticed that kind of subconsciously, but I've never been smart enough, because um, I'm not as smart as Zach, to actually look into it like he did. But that was always one of those things that I've, I threw in the basket of him being kind of a weird hitter. Like it was like just little things like that. And yeah, if, if someone could like unlock that. Um, and, and again, I don't know how much of that, uh, how much is that? I don't want to put words in Zach's mouth of how much he was arguing. It was like anecdotal versus like, no, this is a, um, y- you know, a, a major problem that's happening on like, you know, almost all of his uh hard hit balls to the outfield. But and if, if for some reason you haven't read that article, first of all, <laughs> go read it because Zach makes us all smarter or it yeah. he makes us all realize we're not that smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the article is basically talking about the fact that Marcelo Zuna essentially hits like a slice shot. If you're, if you're right. a golfer, you'll understand. So the spin coming off of the bat is different and it results in just this weird ball path coming off of his bat that turns what should be home runs into warning track fly balls. Here's what I'll say about it. If say it was a video game um, and think about those uh, gifs where you see the uh, ball coming off Marcel's bat, uh, presumably heading into, um, uh, you know, left field, the left field, left field stands even. And then it winds up uh, being caught near the warning track in center field. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's a video game where the perspective of the video game is from the pitcher, just like in that GIF, and then it rotates to the outfield, and that's where the ball's caught. You would think it was a glitch in the game. Yeah. <laughs> you would think, like, wait, that's not where the – like, what's – this is not a – this game is, uh, you know, messed up. That's not where the ball uh, right. told me it was going off the bat. Like, that's how – that's how crazy some of those GIFs looked um, in terms of when they were side-by-side side like that. It was so interesting. Yeah. And you're right. I think – there's always been something with the way that the ball comes off the bat with Ozuna that just looks a little off. With even even balls that he hits and it's a home run, you're like, wow, that went 400 feet in the air and it was still nine rows deep. How's that possible? So there's something weird in every swing, I think. But it was interesting to see it broken down the way that Zach showed it um, with that particular idea that he, that it slices and it takes a little bit of the distance off in the process that um, really robs him of some home runs. Yeah. And it also makes me think of the fact that, you know, when he really does turn on a ball and he just like swats a ball into the stands, like 
he can do that quicker than almost anyone. Mm, um, yeah. You know, so, some of his home runs uh, leave the yard faster than almost anyone I've ever seen. I still think back to that. I, I think it was maybe his first home run he hit with the Cardinals back in uh, Milwaukee. It's the one I picture every time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just a rocket. And it makes sense kind of with Zach's article that, you know, look, if he's getting too much, uh, I, I guess, loft on the ball, it's going to die in the field because of because of that weird spin, or at least as a chance to, if, if that's happening. And yeah. I and, and this might sound also uh, dumb. I'm not quite sure I knew a baseball had the capability to do that. Quite, <laughs> to, that to that effect. I mean, obviously, I knew with spin, you know, that's going to make the ball uh, tail off in a certain way. But I didn't think it could be that profound. Yeah, it's such a dramatic visual when you I, I'm, if you haven't read it, go to the article and read it, but also look at the gifts that that Cardinals gifts created, because it gives you this visual where you can see just how dramatic the the curve is that slice is on on some of those particular hits that they identified and, and isolated to talk about um and you're right it's one of those things that I, i've been in a number of conversations this week about how data is killing baseball and um i think what it does is it reveals some of these weird things about baseball that we've always just kind of been like oh I thought he hit that better. And turns out <laughs> he did hit it well. It just also had a weird side spin that changed the c- entirety of the flight path of the baseball, which may or may not impact your enjoyment of the game. But I find it absolutely fascinating. And um, props to Zach for seeing it and knowing how to go about analyzing it in a way that you can break down and write a blog post about. So yeah, cheers to Zach. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, something I should have mentioned uh, that we should have mentioned talking about his piece is that in conjunction with what we already said, he also laid out the fact that he's hitting the ball hard. L- like uh, yeah, yeah. the reason why this is so noticeable and weird is off his bat, he's, uh, y- you know, he's hitting the ball just as hard as he was in 2017, if not harder. Um, mm-hmm. and it almost makes you wonder, like, you know, you always hear about exit velocity, like, you know, the balls hit this hard off the bat, uh, you know, um, and we do know that that information is helpful, um, you know, based on based on results uh, of, you know, balls that are hit a, you know, a certain mile per hour. But But I wonder if, just like with a pitcher, when you're talking about, like, where a ball breaks like obviously like greg maddox was so effective because his balls really didn't move until they were you know he had that very late movement like like do we need to be measuring like exit velocity later in the ball's path to really get an idea Uh, or maybe they do this and you know i'm certainly not the foremost expert when it comes to this stuff but the the point for me, and we've talked about this a little bit, but exit velocity is one example where the stat alone doesn't necessarily tell you a whole lot other than, wow, he hit that really hard. But when you combine it with other factors, such as the loft and the exit velocity, and you think, okay, that should make a ball hit that hard at that angle should go a, you know, certain distance, whatever it is. And then if it's not, then you can do what Zach did and go, okay, well, how come, how come that math doesn't work and what is changing it? And then it actually tells you something. So that's why it just, the, sometimes the stat alone isn't the thing that actually tells you the story, but it's 
what else is happening alongside that. And that's, um, that's why we have Zach <laughs> to inform us of those things. Mm-hmm. But that's about the extent of my knowledge on, on that particular um, scientific equation. So we're going to move on from that and just say one more time, go read Zach's piece. Because at this point, Marcelo Zuna is still relevant to Cardinals fans, at least until he decides to sign somewhere else. But that is all the time we're going to spend on it because the breaking news this week in baseball is that surprise more than just the Astros have been stealing signs with some sort of electronic assistance. And it may not surprise a lot of people, but the Red Sox have also been discovered in a scheme that they were running of their own. Their attempts, Alex, were more about utilizing the um, under-supervised replay room that's evidently right next to the dugout. All of this, in reading about this, again, if you haven't read about it, we'll try to fill you in as we go along, but you should really go read about it because it's the off season. And what else are you doing (laughs) with your time? Um, But the Red Sox were uh, essentially using their access to the replay room in game to go in and look at the video that they had access to and then report back to runners on base who would then report to the hitters based on the, uh, the sign stealing methods they had come up with. And, um, so the the saga continues with sign stealing as cheating. And at some point, we want to talk about this in relation to the Cardinals, not because we think the Cardinals are necessarily stealing signs, because if they were, I'd like to think their offense would be better. But before we get to that, I'm curious what you think, Alex, because the more we find out about this, the more it kind of seems like everyone's probably doing some version of it. But what has yet to be defined is what's the line between the version of sign stealing that's okay and the version of sign stealing that's cheating? And that's, I don't know that we have a good answer to that yet, Alex. Do you feel like this clears it up or just muddies the water with the Red Sox news? Well, hmm. I I feel as though we're all on board that no one has a problem with a guy on second base trying to steal 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 signs and and relay them to the to the batter right everyone's everyone's yeah. pretty much yeah. fine with that that's been going on for years um whatever and in fact sometimes you see some fun showmanship like when who was it who right. committed an intentional balk last year to move the runner over to third so he mm-hmm. couldn't i forget who that was but that was or uh, you see a you see a shortstop like dancing in front of the runner to try yeah, to keep him yeah. like that kind of stuff there's yeah. there's some there's some uh there's an art to it as yeah. well and that seems to be okay that's yeah Absolutely. I, I think pretty much anything beyond that, anything that's not taking place on the field or anything that's taking place on the field that's not with uh, the human eye um, or especially uh, the human eye that that's belonging to a player or a coach on the other team. You know, I'm not like I'm talking about like, you know, just some rogue guy a team hires yeah. to like, you know, sit near a team's dugout or something like that. Um I, I think once you get beyond that, it's a problem. Um, and I, I hope these, I kind of hope these teams get hammered for it. I also think it's a problem that 
we're talking about the Astros and the Red Sox who won the World Series in 2017 and 2018. We're talking about Alex. Which Cole. are coincidentally the years that they are accused of right. this yes, sign-stealing yes. scheme either beginning or at least being found out. Yes, the news about the Red Sox uh, from today was from 2018. And we're talking about Alex Cora who was with both teams. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he was with... Uh, well, he was the Astros hitting coach when they were doing yeah. that. And you know, I obviously, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously the Red Sox manager. Um, you know, I think we can c- conclude that the Astros are just a disease on the rest of the league. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they really, they really are. Like, and w- the reason why it sucks is because I, I don't think, you know, I, I, obviously we're not taking away their World Series titles. Uh, we, we don't do that at this level, and that would be silly. But it's not insane it's it's crazy to say something like, well, they wouldn't win the World Series um, had they not done this. Like, no one knows that. But yeah. what we also don't know is that they would have. You know, you know, there's always going to be this level of uncertainty. Like, how much did this or really Or that ha- they would even have gotten there, right? Yeah, exactly. There's always going to be this level of uncertainty uh, <laughs> with regard to these teams. And I just think that's that's not good for the sport. And I do, I do have to say that I chuckled at the absurdity particularly with the Astros uh, at the note that basically said well they stopped doing it in the postseason <laughs> like oh okay. but, wait, but why that, why that would makes you, it better I mean, why <laughs> and that's and unless there's a unless there was something about the postseason um like uh with regard to like oh well, they because they had all these extra cameras in the postseason, they were right. comfortable doing it. Like yeah. that makes zero. Like that's such an obvious lie. Yeah. L- yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> well, why would you stop doing it in the postseason? <laughs> if, yeah. uh, assuming it was successful during the regular season, uh, right? You know, this came up a lot with uh, the hacking scandal, um, the Chris Correa stuff, mm-hmm. and that's the issue of. Is the byproduct of all front offices kind of moving in the direction of you know you know guys with MBAs from you know Harvard Kellogg School of Business stuff like that? Is the natural byproduct going to be this sort of like level of corporate espionage that we perhaps wouldn't have if it was still like old school <laughs> guys like Dave Stewart? Guys. Yeah, yeah, filling these roles. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a fair critique, and I'm not. I'm certainly not saying like you know. You know, all these guys, you know, all these smart guys in the room are a bad thing, obviously. Right. Uh, but I do wonder if, if that's if, if we've arrived here because of the way front offices have changed over the years. Yeah. I mean, we've often talked about the fact that sometimes it feels like the actual baseball moves, whether it's trades or contracts or extensions or whatever it is, get sort of convoluted because every front office is trying to be the equivalent of the smartest guy in the room. And this feels a lot like that, right? You're trying to gain an advantage by taking advantage of the same um, resources that everyone has, but you're trying to be the person that uses them in some sort of exclusive and revolutionary way. The problem with that is then you know, there are lines that are going to be crossed or that could be crossed. And the way that the rules are structured or that they were structured prior to 2017, when the Red Sox and the Yankees were um, involved in 
some some sort of electronic uh, transmission of of data. Um, the the rules are a little bit not necessarily unclear, but not specific. Um, another birds on the black uh, article this week from Adam Van Grack went up talking about this in particular in relation to the Astros, but now it applies to the Red Sox as well. And that is that in the official major league baseball rules, this kind of stuff is really poorly defined. So when you talk about what punishments come from these things, there have been memos from the commissioner's office. There have been statements made. There have been, you know, warnings issued, but not necessarily in conjunction with the official Major League Baseball rules on these things. So I guess if you're trying to be the smartest guy in the room, you could maybe find a loophole that would allow for something that crosses a line without crossing an actual <laughs> rule um, in the rule book and then think that you can get away with it. But what's absurd to me about all of this is that it's like primarily former players who are now suddenly being like, you know, this happened. It definitely (laughs) happened. And um, now you know about it. And I don't know. I I feel like there are going to be more stories like this before it's all wrapped up because I think when we talked about this way back when the Astros thing first broke, I brought up the idea that this to me feels like this generation's version of PEDs in that, like there are probably way more people doing it than are actually going to get caught. Mm-hmm. But now that a few teams have gotten caught, everyone's looking for it everywhere. So you just kind of sit back and hope that your team isn't the next one that that shows up on uh, some sort of investigation. Yes. And I think I mentioned that when we talked about the Astros the yeah. first time, which is that like every fan base should be a little careful about... Um, dumping on the Astros too much. Um, and this is after I just called them a disease uh, about five minutes ago, but because you never know if your team is for more is reasons than nice. just, yeah, no, yeah, yes, that's true. That is true. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that is the, the follow-up, right? Is that now that more teams, um, and when this first came out with the Astros, there was sort of this undercurrent of, yeah, there are other teams that that we're sort of suspicious of as well, whether that was coming from Major League Baseball or just from other teams um, and what they're saying about their opponents. But that sort of led us to this conversation where, of course, this as a Cardinals podcast, we try to relate things to the team that you're all listening to hear information about. But since the Cardinals, knock on wood, to this point are not involved in this particular scandal, we're going to sort of imagine what the reaction would be if they were as we wait for the um, repercussions to play out for the Astros and potentially the, the Red Sox as well. So, Alex, if the Cardinals were to come up as a team that was involved somehow in this, again, like I said earlier, that would be rather pathetic because their offense um, showed no signs of any unfair advantages in the last couple of seasons. But if they did, and they were just really bad at following through on that information, what would you hope the reaction would be? Because as you just said, this isn't okay. So the, the repercussions should be significant, even if it's the Cardinals. Yeah, so so let's say the Cardinals were doing something similar to what the Astros are accused of doing and that it goes all the way up to, uh, let's say, Mosaic. Um, hmm. 
I, I'm not wild about like these lifetime bands, like for instance, John yeah. uh, Cavallella or, you know, Chris Cray is a little different story because we're, we were talking about an actual federal crime there. Um, so I think that is drastic. And I only bring it up because I saw uh, a few mentions of things like that in, in the articles I read today. What I do think would be completely appropriate would be for the Cardinals to get hit with perhaps unprecedented monetary fines and have an entire draft wiped out um, because of how much these teams with the way, uh, you know, the CBA and all that stuff is set up with how much these teams treasure cost controlled talent and, you know, being able to have control over a player for basically six seasons. If you can take out a draft or two from a team, like that's going to really be a significant punishment to how yeah. these teams operate and really make them basically, I, I don't know, like basically change everything at least for, for a couple of years. And I think it would be a pretty darn big deterrent too. I feel like that it has to be right. Whatever they do has to be such a deterrent that other teams don't feel like, well, you know, if we can do this and end up winning a world series and then deal with the consequences later, it's not so bad. Like it has to be significant enough that teams are going to go out of their way to make sure that they're not misusing the electronic equipment or the replay system or whatever it is in order to gain an advantage. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so unprecedented in terms of, and this is where it's very different from PEDs, right, is that it could go all the way up the ladder, all the way up to the, the top of the front office. We don't know how um, high up any of this was at least known about, if not you, approved. You don't think Walt Jockety was using PEDs? Well, he might have been, <laughs> but no one really cares at that point, right? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Um when you're not the, the player on the field. Uh, but um, it has to be different in nature of what the um, repercussions are because it's so different in the way that it affects the entirety of the team. I was reading a little bit today about what the, the potential uh, punishments could be for the Astros. And the point was being made that the players themselves may not feel any of the effects of these punishments because they're sort of just cogs in the system, not necessarily the ones devising the system. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there have been some very interesting sort of defenses of what the Astros were doing in that it's kind of like, well, everyone knows everyone's doing stuff. So, so I don't know that they're entirely innocent bystanders in all of it, but Nonetheless, that may be a different argument. So I agree. I think that the the financial weight has to be felt and some portion of that punishment has to involve the way that they're able to structure their team going forward to kind of counteract the unfair advantage they gained by, you know, whatever it was that they were that they were doing to cheat the system. It's weird and it's unprecedented and I have no idea what major league baseball will choose to do in regards to this. But, you know, like I said, we just keep hoping that our team isn't next and we'll see how far it goes before there's enough, um, before it affects 
the outcome of enough seasons that um, that people will get it together or at least <laughs> stop uh, snitching on their, their <laughs> former teams. I don't know. We'll see. Well, the the Cardinals haven't won a World Series in a while, so we can assume they're not next. But the Nats, I guess, will, uh, you know, we can assume they were doing something ridiculous. Uh, you know, who knows what that could be. Yeah, I guess we'll just find out about the Nationals <laughs> next year after the World Series is over. And then we'll know. Then we'll know what the new uh, the new trend is. Yeah, you, d- you don't want to be that team. Uh, just like you never wanted to be a guy who was like busted for PEDs, but was also terrible. We'll find out uh, before the season starts that like the orioles or something yeah like i always thought those guys should be punished more like look right. if you're using peds you should at least be good uh, <laughs> at least entertain us right <laughs> yeah you better at least be hitting 75 home runs right a year. right uh yeah so you, you don't want to be like a team who won uh i don't know 65 games and be <laughs> stealing signs along the way uh the pirates to, um, the pirates are gonna yeah. be the team yeah <laughs> oh man yeah so we'll see what happens i mean I, I would like the the sort of naive part of me would like to think that uh it's maybe not as rampant as a lot of the folks in the astros and red sox worlds would like us to believe it is at this point but we'll see i mean now that major league baseball is looking for it now that other teams are maybe on higher alert um who knows who knows who will be the next for something to come out about it we'll have to wait and see what the punishments are as um we heard on tuesday i read that that the uh speculation is that that announcement will be made in the next two weeks or so as far as major league baseball is concerned and until then we'll just keep uh spinning our wheels with this nolan arenado rumor and see how far that goes and how many cardinals fans are convinced that it's something to actually be excited about before they once again crush our hopes and dreams hopefully not by watching nolan arenado go to chicago that would be pretty brutal so hopefully we don't have to deal with that but instead Alex, it is time for the chirp of the week. Okay, so I, I sort of. I feel cheated. like I should have a drum roll there at some point. <laughs> I should yeah, have been yeah. doing that all along. We, we uh, incorporated a drum roll one time, I believe. We I did. Guess. Yeah, did some sort of countdown. Um, <laughs> so I, I sort of cheated this week because I'm just going to use a silly post I wrote this week. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of take that one a little further. But it was this piece I wrote on like the Cardinals uh, as a franchise are, are, I believe, 855 games above 500 for their history. And when I say for their history, I'm going back to 1882. So going back to like the very, very beginning and not 1892 when they were first established in the National League, but back to the very, very beginning. Now, the Cardinals got off to actually a bad start in for their franchise at least from like 1900 to 1920 they were pretty awful and they were at one point uh 450 games below 500 um but beginning in the 20s they slowly started to climb uh and make their way towards 500 and they finally reached that point if my research is correct 
I believe they finally got there on September 17th, 1943, when they had a walk-off win, 2-1 victory over the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> um, it was at that point, again, September 17th, 1943, where they were finally 500. Um, they finally had an even record for their history as a franchise. And they won the next day, and they won the next day after that. And ever since that day, they have not dipped below 500. Um, in fact, it's been 27,872 days um, of being above 500 for the Cardinals. Uh, you know, I thought I was actually going to have to like figure out that number on my own. Turns out you can just type into Google, how many days has it been since September 17th, <laughs> 1943? And they were immediately shoot back to the answer. So Gotta love Google. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's pretty convenient. Um, and it's not shocking that it was in the 40s when the Cardinals... Uh, were able to uh, make such a climb, make such a, I guess, steep climb because that was probably their most successful decade as a franchise. Yeah. They were awesome in the 1940s. Um, but here's a few other things I learned uh, along the way. Since 1920, um, the Cardinals, well, first I should say, if you go back from like 1900 to now, the Cardinals have the fourth, mi- fourth most wins in baseball uh, behind the Yankees. Giants and the Dodgers. But if you start in 1920, uh, go from 1920 to now, they're second to just the Yankees. So that's how bad they were from 1900 and 1920. If it wasn't (laughs) for those 20 years, um, that's where the Dodgers and Giants were really uh, ganging up on the Cardinals. Um, So if you start from 1920 and move on, the Cardinals really have been the most successful by win standpoint, um, or at least second most successful franchise to the Yankees. Another interesting thing I learned, as recently um, as 1949, if, if we want to say that's recent, um, the Cubs had the second most wins in all of baseball. The second most win. The Chicago huh. Cubs, uh, as recently as 1949, had the second most wins in all of baseball to the New York Giants. Uh, most people think it was the Yankees, but no, it was actually the, uh, back then, the New York Giants had the most wins in all of baseball. The Cubs now have the eighth most wins in all of baseball. And since 1949, they have been passed by the Yankees, the Dodgers, uh, the beloved Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Pirates. So, you know, I mentioned how 1920 on for the Cardinals has been very kind. It has not as been as kind to the Cubs. The Cubs have uh, lost a lot of ground um, in that time. And that's basically your chirp of the week. In my column... I talked about how long it would take uh, for them to dip below 500. And I really, you know, it was, it was a really stupid column because it was basically like, that was the name of the column. Like, will the Cardinal, how long will the Cardinals remain above 500? And I devoted like two lines to answering that, which is, ah, eh, probably won't happen. It, that would, uh, uh, that would be a very hard thing to do. So, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, that's the case. The Cardinals are 855 games above 500. It would take a lot in many, many years. Uh, we probably won't be here to see it if it ever does happen for the Cardinals to dip below 500 at this point. That's, uh, that's what they've given us so that we can live out the rest of our lives uh, with our baseball team um, above 500. And I recognize that no one, and I mean no one, cares about this stat at all. No, or, but I love it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. So that is your trip of the week. 
Um, I love those columns that you write that you're always like, no one reads this there. I love them because they're the kind of things that as a baseball fan, you think about one day and then don't actually look up yourself. (laughs) So, you know, where I have Zach to inform me of way more mathematical, uh, (laughs) equations than I ever wanted to know in my life. Alex is the person that tells me the, the, the random things that I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about aren't entirely random or at least i'm not the only one that thinks about these things well i I should i should give credit to baseball reference because without a site like baseball reference which i truly believe is one of the five greatest websites in the history of the internet um things like this wouldn't be possible especially like with the play index i know like when i was younger and collected baseball cards i used to love just staring at the back of baseball cards and stats and that's when it was pretty traditional stats too but that is now since carried over to uh, baseball reference, they kind of supply that outlet now. And we are all so much better for having that website at our disposal. Baseball reference is not a sponsor of the podcast, but no, that, that was be. free. That was free publicity. <laughs> Just because we love you yes. so much. We also love all of you for listening. That will do it for this episode of the show. Make sure that you're following birds on the black on Twitter, where you can find all of that content about the uh, rules discussion on cheating from sign stealing. You can find Zach's article there. You can find Alex's masterpiece about how long the Cardinals will stay above 500, as well as lots of other content from Kyle Reese on the minor league uh, world of the St. Louis Cardinals and Ben Cerruti and Dennis. And I'm sure I'm going to leave somebody out. And this is why Kyle always does this at the end of his uh, podcast, Prospects After Dark. And I don't because I know I'm going to forget somebody. But you can check it all out at birdsontheblack.com. Follow Birds on the Black on Twitter. And that is also where you found this podcast, unless you're listening to it directly from Twitter. So if you have not subscribed on whatever podcast medium you prefer make sure that you do that so that you don't miss an episode and you can come back again with us next week i'm on twitter at tara wellman he's on twitter at alexcard79 for alex i'm tara we'll talk to you next time